Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons, the most important game in the universe. In the 1979 edition of the Dungeon Master's Guide, Gary Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every month on this show, we will read a book and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the, of the episode for a list of, of some upcoming books. And as always, before we get to the program, I want to take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from across the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. My pick for this episode is the Dark Sun Revised and Expanded Edition from TSR. You can find it for as low as 32 bucks. Quite a deal. Wouldn't you say, Jay? Yes, I would. Every Barsoomian should own a copy of Dark Sun Revised Edition. And with me once again is my special guest, Jay Kent. Woohoo! Glad to be here. Jay Kent of of uh, of uh, internet fame and uh, and celebrity status. Okay. All two people who know me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there should be thousands of people that know you now that you are on. Appendix N. This is true. It's 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 a bit like being on the on the Col- Colbert Report. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. So we are here today to discuss the Warlord of Mars, uh, the third book in I, I guess it's called the, the the Princess of Mars trilogy by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, this is yes. So this is follows on the heels of a Princess of Mars and the Gods of Mars. This book was published. Uh, well, it 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 ran in uh, the All Story from December 1913 to March uh, 1914. So roughly again about a year after the previous book. Um, and we we immediately uh, once again get back into the action. We, we we once again pick up our hero where we we left off. It's it's been uh, it's been about a year since his wife uh, Deja Thoris was uh, imprisoned in uh, the, the the temple of the sun, right? By the right. by the by yeah. the holy therns, and and we're not sure whether she's alive or dead. And uh, we we. Uh, return to our hero uh, creeping through the forest or, or jungle uh, on, on the trail of two of his enemies. Yeah, well, he's initially just, uh, I believe he's trailing uh, Thurid, right? And then, of course, Thurid meets up with Matai Shang or whatever his name is. Right. Thurid, Thurid uh, the black man, and uh, Mata Shang, uh, the white man, uh, two two important people from their respective civilizations that uh, Carter had, shall we say, inconvenienced uh, during the previous story. <laughs> yes, only slightly. <laughs> um, 
and they they apparently um the, these two have, have apparently found uh, a secret passage into Deja Thoris's prison, and they're they're going to spring her early so they can uh, get away with her. I guess. Yes, yes, that was the plan. Okay, so this 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 sets up these two as as basically the villains of this of this book, Mata Mata Shang and uh, Thorid. And Carter basically spends the entire book chasing them and Dejah Thoris. Right. Pretty much one chase scene after another. It, it is. It is pretty much one big long chase. Uh, most of his his uh, allies, Tars Tarkas, Carthoris, uh, his his uh, friend, uh, the the Red Martian captain, uh, are are pretty much absent for for most of of of, of this book. It's, it's pretty much him by by himself. Well, he's got Wula with him too, but yeah, pretty much for his. for part of it. Yeah, even even Wula goes away. True, true. Yeah, but uh, did you ever did you ever see those Flash Garden Flash Gordon Saturday morning cartoons? I don't know Saturday morning cartoon. I don't I I don't remember. I don't know if you remember Saturday morning cartoons or not. I, I remember. I I had to go to. I, I'm Jewish, so uh, my services. Uh, inconveniently fell at the, at the same time as Saturday morning cartoons, so wow. I, I had to tape them, and then it was noon by the time we 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 got home. So, yeah, well, uh, it, maybe you maybe you maybe you don't remember. There was a Flash Gordon. Actually, this was a this was actually a uh, a plot line or a plot device followed by a number of Saturday morning cartoons. But the ones that called to memory, there were there were two. One was uh, Flash Gordon, uh-huh. and another was, uh, I believe, Thundar the Barbarian, which were um, both in the early 80s. And and both, they sound pretty pretty pulpy. I mean, I mean Flash Gordon yeah. was, was a pulp uh, property going going back to almost the time of, of, of John Carter also. So Yes. And, and actually what's really funny is I think, I, I would be willing to bet money that the writers for those shows – pulled their plots straight from the Warlord of Mars because it seems like every episode dealt very similarly with how this book was written. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, which, you know, of course, um, we've started off, he, he pursues uh, Thurid in search of, he doesn't know exactly what he's up to, but he knows that he's no good because in the previous book, he had embarrassed him, and even though Thurid seems to be on board with his rule or with his, uh, the guy he appointed reagent, uh, which was begins with an X, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Zodar. Zotar. Yeah, that's it, Zotar. Um, he knows that he's up to no good because he keeps sneaking out, so one night he follows him, and of course he finds that he meets up with Matai Shang, who is, they were previously sworn enemies, so the fact that they're working together doesn't point to any sort of good. Mm-hmm. It must be something nefarious that they're up to. And, of course, from there it launches into, like you said, pretty much one long chase scene, which is broken up with, it seems to be the pattern goes, he chases them, almost catches up, something happens to prevent him from catching them, he manages to crash or you know be knocked unconscious he mm-hmm. makes an ally of someone local who then uh, he helps them who, then they you know usually in some sort of combat or life threatening situation which of he helps course. save them from yeah. and then they become his ally they somehow through their influence are basically able to put him back on the trail and this happens what 
two, three times during the book, which yeah, pretty much at, at, at least twice that, 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 I, that I can think of. So, okay, yeah. um, let's let's briefly skim through the first part of this book because because I really want to get to the to the second part of this book where where we find what uh, is is at at the North Pole of uh, Mars. So right. so all right. So chasing after these villains who. Uh, surprise, surprise! They 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 managed to spring uh, Dejah Thoris early, uh, despite uh, Carter's most most valiant attempts to kill every everyone in his path uh, to reach her side. Uh, and and the first place uh, Carter finds himself is uh, uh, it's 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 not Tarth. It's it's a different city. But uh, Thuvia's father, uh, Thuvia, the princess from from the last book, happens to be visiting. Correct. Well, actually, just just to back up just a little bit, so so the book starts on the South Pole, right. where where the blacks, uh, the, what's their names, the 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 firstborn, the firstborn, yes, the firstborn, they live. He has set up his puppet government there, right. and of course, exactly like you said, they spring Dejah Thoris and Thuvia and and take off, and this other city, of course, is on the equator or thereabouts, yeah, yeah, or thereabouts, exactly. So I, I I don't remember exactly what what it was named. I could look it up, but um, that begins with a K, I thought, or maybe the ruler. Uh, oh, uh, Kor, I think. Yeah, something. Something like that. Yeah. So there there's some there's some uh, intrigue. We we learn that there's a lot of red Martians who apparently still worship uh, the religion of of the Therns and and uh, the River S. You know, d- despite uh, Carter's best attempts to uh, discredit. Um, them and uh, uh, Madashang and um, Thurid are, are, are uh, basically take take refuge in this in this city, and Carter has to get uh, the rulers on his on his side, which he, he he's able to do rather rather quickly uh, through through well, a, you know basically a lot of chest pounding and you know yelling until he gets someone to listen to him. Well, he, um, if I recall correctly, he, was it the ruler himself or one of his uh, henchmen was on the road and John Carter was there too. And John Carter gets attacked by this vicious monster and it's, it's something that's supposed to be, you know, he, he is able to vanquish it w- uh, with Wula's help mm-hmm. and um, this knight comes down this road. He's kind of like a, a road warden or something like that. Right. And he comes along and he, he sees this great feat of valor that John Carter has accomplished in slaying this monster. And he says, wow, you know, most people can't do that. Of course, in, in retrospect, he's also disguised himself as a red man. He's, you know, he's taken this clay and spread it all over himself. So, so he, you know, whereas since he is white, he might be known on site as John mm-hmm. Carter Mars. He's now taken a disguise, and this this road warden that he meets takes him back to the city and introduces him and says, you know, this is a man of great valor, and of course, the warrior, you know, warrior, the warrior case on on Barsoom is you know the most revered uh, case to belong to, and if any sort of prowess in mar- martial arts is something that he is, you know, so now he's a big guy and he meets. Exactly. And of course, that lasts until he's able to get right in front of Matai Shang, and, uh, who, who sees through his, his feeble disguise, introduces him as John Carter of Mars, and, mm-hmm. and of course, 
then things go awry from there. Right. But um, I think I think the ruler um, decides that um, he, he there's uh, something happens in the in the middle of the night, I think. And and uh, John Carter has to wake wake every everybody up, and the and the ruler mm-hmm. is too tired to, to to deal with it, and um, he so he says, okay, you know what, we're we'll we'll wait until morning, and then we'll sort this this whole thing thing out, and then in the middle of the night, of course, the bad guys escape, right, and um, the the chieftain of this of the city is is basically left, you know. Having having to ad, ad, admit that that he was that he was wrong and uh, he's you know he, he 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 has to do what what Carter says now. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's it this particular book. You know, last our last show where we talked about the gods of Mars. Right. Um, this sh- particular book really identifies and highlights Edgar Rice Burroughs' religious sentiments. Uh, you see John Carter echoing what Edgar Rice Burroughs um, basically mimics in his letters and things like that from that essay that you mm-hmm. uh, that you linked to in in the last show, um, and, and and by virtue of you know the fact that there's no logical reason that the Therns, or I, more importantly I should say, since the Therns are acting with no divinity, in other words, they are basically cowards and running and things mm-hmm. like that. Therefore, their religion must be false, and consequently, that is how the—that's the reasoning that John Carter is using to basically help convert. It's a, or, it's I guess a, it's uh, a triumph of, of of reason over over superstition. Correct. Super, super exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So. So. All right. So, uh, Thuvia's father, whose whose name escapes because all all these names are ridiculous, and I can't re- remember them. But um, Thuvia's father is 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 visiting the court of this of this of this other other king, and 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 happens to you know he he discovers that his his daughter has been captured along with uh, Dejah uh, Thoris, and, and so he he volunteers to help, right? Right. And so uh, they they eventually track uh, the villains uh, to the North Pole. Yep. So this, now they've they've com- they've completely gone half of the circumference of the of Barsoom now. Basically, after after this this trilogy, there's it it, it really doesn't seem like there's anything left of the planet to uh, explore, uh, and and yet there's about ten more books in the in the series. Um, yeah. So go figure. Um, but anyways, so we've we've been told uh, previously that uh, Dejah Thoris's father and gra- uh, 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 grandfather, uh, Tardos Moors and Moors Kajak, um, back back when Dejah Thoris was was missing and or no wait back back when uh, John Carter was was missing, um, no it was it was Carthoris. Gosh darn it. Okay. Back when Car- Carthoris was 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 missing, and uh, Dejah Thoris was was close to death with uh, grief, uh, the the ruler of, of of Helium and his son uh, had had set off on an expedition to try and find uh, Carthoris, who we know was imprisoned at the South Pole. 
but that that expedition set set out and you know those those two people have have not been found since you know along with their en- entire uh, retinue which we can assume is like ships and ships of red 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 martians right uh so in this book we discover well they've been at the north pole this entire time and what is at the north pole is literally a a pole a <laughs> that's true <laughs> That is true. <laughs> Pretty much a a mag- magnetic pole that uh, apparently traps uh, any any ship that sails over the uh, mountains that that ring the the Arctic Circle. And uh, there's a there is yet another civilization up here called the the um, uh, the Yellow Men. Yep. Or I think they're they're also called the Okarians, right? I think that might just be one of their cities. Uh, yeah, uh, Okar. Yeah, I I think I, they. So yeah, Okarians would be right. Yeah. So all right. So, um, Carter arrives at these at these caves that 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 lead uh, under under the mountains, and uh, you know this this is the simplest dungeon ever because it, it's basically a straight a straight line. There's, there's, I think there's yeah. like, there, there's like 14 caves and a monster in, in each cave. Uh, so th- that's, I mean, that's some lazy dungeon mastering. Well, um, and it, it gets even better because normally there, they, there are 14 caves and they'd all be, you know, spread out among them. So it would be the typical, like if you've ever, did you ever play the keep on the borderlands? I, I have not, but I, it's, 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 it's the, it's the, in, that's the module that came with the basic edition of Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. in the I'm, early I'm familiar, 80s. Yes. And uh, the funny, and you know, of course, the Caves of Chaos. And one thing that was always funny is um, I always wondered why it was when you'd go in there and you'd see a kobold, the two kobold guards, and you'd kill them, and then you'd go to the next room. When really, what would happen is one of them would run and get the whole bunch. And so, what you do is you basically have this huge battle at the be- entrance of the cave mm-hmm. where either the PCs prevail or, more likely, they're slaughtered by just simply being overrun by the sheer number of cobalts or whatever happens to be in that cave, orcs, gnolls, et cetera. I mean, you know, let alone the ecology of that many humanoid species living in close proximity within a valley. That's something else. But, mm-hmm. but anyways, long story short, exactly like you said. Uh, Instead of them being spread out, it happens to be the one day of the month where they are conveniently uh, in a single cave and they're like completely knocked out. It's like their monthly snooze fest that they're going through. And of right. course, Hiber- hibernation or something. Hibernation, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And right. and Carter manages to I think I think knock knock one out like like lure lure the guard away the 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 guard monster and and knock it out so as not to wake up the others and then he just he just sneaks past yep um but but then oh, sorry so so then uh we we come to the cities of the yellow men and and of course right away carter runs into um a a young man who is a prince among the yellow men and of course he's uh trying to uh, foment a a re- re- rebellion against the uh, tyrannical ruler, and Carter immediately gets on his on his side, and that's that's his that's his his in right. Yeah, and once again, like the first time he beats up this guy, or excuse me, he uh, he conquers this this vicious monster on the road. 
thereby you know either saving or impressing the 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 red man uh, at the equator once again the same situation mm-hmm. he gets up there this time he actually rescues uh, his name's Talu prince of Marantina right Talu yes yes and he 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 manages to to save him from being attacked by five of his uncles who happens to be the tyrant you were mentioning uh, five of his uncle's retinue who so, are trying to kill so Lensis all that's the that's the tyrant yep, yep. Lensis all so yeah same situation I mean it's it's almost you know it's like he took the same plot device and used mm-hmm. it two times in a row ex- almost verbatim it's 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 interesting it's very interesting I, I guess interesting is a is a word that you could use um, well you know it's it's funny though because a lot of GMs do this exact same type of thing that is, that is true yes the chase scene you know they'll they'll you know the especially when uh, a new campaign starts a, a new campaign will will go forward uh, you know first level characters will start out they'll you know whatever rescue the the mayor's daughter from the lizard men in the swamp or you know whatever the orcs or whatever the particular case may be and they'll of course in in process find out there's something more devious and nefarious going on there's you know some evil priest or something who's trying to raise whatever and so they manage to prevent him mm-hmm. Uh, from accomplishing his designs, but of course, because they're only first level, and the GM wants to create a recurring villain that is memorable, will have that person, that that villain escape. Much like Third and Mata Shang throughout the rest of this book, he'll have them escape. But of course, you know they need to go, and so they go to the next village, and that's where they make a friend. You know, usually by doing some sort of uh, relatively trivial uh, quest or something like that. You know, well, save the farmer's pigs, or you know, or or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. In which case, then the whole cycle propagates itself once again until usually, you know, usually they end up killing this this villain at at some point later in the campaign, and they all feel victorious. Uh, so this this book very much. I don't know if Gygax in particular um, adopted that that that, or I should say, other adventure writers who mm-hmm. who. Uh, but you know, you can see the seeds. And of course, this is far from being the first book that ever followed that plot line as well. But mm. once again, it, it employs very familiar techniques that GMs, you know, have become to use as a timeless tool in their campaign war chest for you know creating campaigns and 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 you know ongoing interest things like that. The inevitable, the inevitable escape, the chase, and you know, multiple times over until such time they're able to right. Right on, but you 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 don't want to you you don't want to overuse it because it can it can really frustrate players. Like especially if the the players really do have the villain cornered and the and the GM just comes up with some kind of cheat for the you know oh I I, I had a stone of teleportation in my in my pocket you know like that that's that's a way to get your your players angry at you. But yeah, I, can, well, yeah, I can totally see what what you're what you're saying. Well, and and that's honestly how it feels in this book. It you know it feels like yes. he should have had them, right. and then you know like at one time the flyer breaks down for mm-hmm. some reason. I I think they managed to to booby trap it or you know somehow disengage it, and he's like right on their tails. And you know, and another time he's, uh, what is it? He oh they managed to they, oh he manages to <laughs> kind of crazy he's sneaking up on them and that at that exact moment third happens to turn and see him and he rushes over to the edge that he's trying to climb up with his tower and kicks him in the face 
of course, you know, he must have like this miraculous dexterity saving throw because, you know, he doesn't right. plummet to his death, but he only manages to fall a few feet and then he manages to, you know, see where they're escaping, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. So, so back to these uh, y- 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 yellow men. All right. So these, these guys are described as, as being uh, yellow, yellow like a, like a lemon. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I was like, they are, they are bright yellow. And and they they've got big black beards, which I don't I don't remember if 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 any of the other races on Mars are described as as being being bearded or, or not. But uh, uh, Burroughs takes yeah uh, definitely definitely uh, d- describes the the yellow men as being bearded. You know, and it's so like I'm I'm of course wondering if if these are supposed to be. Like 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 a parody of some some type of Mongolian you know Asian stereotype, you know of you know of of course Asians are not yellow like a like a lemon but well that's funny you mention that in fact I, I kind of wonder I wonder because you know I, I characteristically and I, I'm 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 saying characteristically or stereotypically you know Asians and at least in my experience the they don't grow full beards, you know. They 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 have facial hair, or at but least the male. If you remember, like like at this time, like like especially around World War II, which was which was much much later, uh, Asians were were often like uh, characterized as, as being these 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 monstrous, you know, almost almost like 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 orcs, right? They 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 had these these big like Fu Manchu uh, mustaches, in you know. I think think, right. of, think of of like of like Ming the Merciless from uh, Flash Gordon, just just what you were what you were what you were talking about. You know this. Well, this, they they this had distinctive how... distinctive like mustaches and and perhaps facial chin hair, but they didn't have full beards like you know neck beards and things like that. And at least from the way this one was described, I kind of got these. You know, they're almost like neon yellow with these mm-hmm. big black bushy beards, which you know I I mean I. I don't. I'm trying to think of an earthly equivalent I, uh, of a particular culture that that has those. I off the top of my head, I can't. But you know, it almost. I wonder if he took pains to say, you know, these are yellow men, but they're not quote unquote yellow men as we Earth, you know, as we as right, we pick. Instead, right. they are they they are truly yellow, as in lemon with big black beards, because that is certainly not you know uh, opposite of what what yellow quote-unquote yellow people uh right. in our cultures have but you know i'm wondering if he's he's starting to you know he's like well i've been using these red men and obviously you know that kind of uh, has connotations for native americans and so i'm going to try and create these you know yes i'm going to go yellow but they're going to be so different than what we characterize uh associated it's, it's, with that color it's, it's almost like he's poking fun at at the the ideas of race race at the time because you know uh, 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 Americans called Indians red men but of course we know they're they're not really red they're they're sort of brown you know Asians are not really yellow they're you know their skin tone you know and he he's like saying you know look if if you're gonna call someone red this is you know this this is what a a, a red man is they're they're really yeah. red these you know my my yellow men are really yellow that's the, you know this is this is what what yellow is your 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 idea of of what's yellow is is silly you yeah know? well and it you know especially from the, the the essays and things like that that we've read in preparing for these 
Burroughs was nothing if not irreverent. You know, he certainly had a, you know, he certainly didn't eschew deity completely. He wasn't what one would call an atheist, Mm -hmm. but he did not embrace the popular opinion of how to revere deity or something like that, Mm -hmm. or how to revere cultures and treat them the same way. He, he certainly had a sarcastic side to him and a reverent side to him. And I think that we were witnessing this playing out via these, you know, quote unquote, stereotypical, but not stereotypical races as he is presenting them. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Okay. So, um, Carter is is not long among uh, the Yellow Man before he is once again uh, captured. Uh, dun, dun, dun. So I I I brought this up uh, last time. My my uh, sort of uh, notion that that Carter does does not do well in in prison or in the in the dark, and in 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 this story he's 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 cast into a hundred foot deep pit. With with glass walls on on every side, uh, and and how he doesn't like comp- completely like shattered all of his bones, I'm I'm not quite sure because a hundred feet is a is a long ways to fall in in Dungeons and Dragons that would be ten d six damage. Yeah, well, I mean, once again, the inconsistencies of how he applies Carter's inhuman or I should say in Barsoomian strength due right. to his. Earth gravity, you know, he's very inconsistent about how he applies those, uh, you know. And once again, you know, you, you are correct in saying that he, you know, this is a hundred foot. I, I did enjoy this though. I thought this was a, at least compared to every other trap or pit or prison or something like why that. Don't, why don't you you describe this this uh, death trap then? Well, you know, and it's this is interesting because I thought this was very. I was like, wow, I could use this in a D and D game. Uh, you know, because this one is psychological rather mm-hmm. than being, you know, a physical threat with, you know, a monster or something like that or, or just or a physical threat of, you know, just sheer deprivation of, you know, food or something like that. This particular tra- trap is called the, pl- the Pit of Plenty. Right. And uh, so why don't go ahead and explain what happens to him in this pit? OK, so he's 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 lying there, you know, in, among the glass. And uh, a light com- comes on, and he can see food, right? And and I I even I even have uh, the 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 passage here. Uh, to my amazement, I found the sides of the pit that I had thought smooth, lined with shelves upon which were the most delicious viands and liquid refreshments that Okar afforded. And with an exclamation of delight, I sprang forward to partake of some of the food, but ere I ever reached it, the light was extinguished. And though I groped my way about the chamber, my hands came in contact with nothing beside the smooth, hard wall. So, like, he yeah. can he can see food, but he, he can't get to it. And for a while, he, he can't even figure out that there's glass between him and the food. Like, he just, he just, he just knows that he can't touch it. He can't touch this. Yeah. And and they they do that a couple times before he just he just you know stops you know rising to the to the bait, but uh, yeah, um, and it's 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 amazing how how quickly it's it's amazing how quickly Carter just loses his mind 
when when he's in a in a trap like like this. Um, you know, he you know later later on uh, he 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 describes himself as, as as having the the hunger madness of a wild beast, right? Um so I I I went I went back and I I actually like pulled quotes from uh the the other times when Carter's like been in prison, right? Um, way, way back in, in, in a princess of Mars when, when he's, uh, imprisoned by the, by the war hoons and, you know, he, he, he describes a, a, like, like, like a very quick descent into, 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 into madness after, after only, only a few days of, of, of being, uh, in, in prison, he says it, it was the most horrible experience of all my life, and that my mind did not give way to the terrors of that inky blackness has ever been a wonder to me, since you know the place was filled with creeping, crawling things, cold, sinuous bodies passed over me. Right? Uh, he he describes his his uh, his jailer coming to bring him food, and he says, with the cunning of a of a madman. I, I backed into the into the far in, in, into the far corner of my of my cell as as he's plotting to like strangle this this guy with his with his chain when he, he finally springs on him, uh, he says laughing and chattering like like the idiot I was fast be, becoming I I fell upon his prostrate form, and and, and this is this is like all in the space of a of a of a couple of a couple paragraphs he. He, he goes from from being the the mighty warrior to being a gibbering idiot right and this was that that, that particular passage is from the gods of mars right when he's stuck that's, in that's from a princess of mars that, that a princess that's of, yeah okay. the, that's 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 the first book mm, okay well there is some contrast to that um you know in, in the warlord of mars he at least remains composed and kind of you know they're trying to psychologically torture him, and he basically says, "I'm not going to fall for that." He eventually, after a couple of days of trying to chase down this food, he eventually he, just kind he, of he falls for it quite a few times. He does. He falls for it quite a few times, but after that, he sort of uh, assumes the Zen-like calm, or at least you know something like that, and manages to to avoid their their taunts, I guess you might say. Though I, I will point out, it's funny. Didn't it say he was nine days in the pit? Yeah, nine nine days without food, and then uh, one one of his his uh, allies, an, an an agent of Prince Talu, uh, slips him some some like some some food pills, which which he assumes are 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 poison, right? Like he yeah. he assumes his his captors have at last you know tired of him and and, and given him a, a a way out. So he 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 eats them, saying you know uh, in his head you know Dejah Thoris. You know now, now I die for you, right, or something like like that. Which of course he 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 doesn't die. It's right, but anyways. Well, yeah, actually, so it's funny. I, I'm reading here, and it says, uh, you know, I I looked up how long does it take to starve, and I found this little thing on uh, some nutrition site, and it says, okay, uh, if you remove everything, water, salt, solid substances, and it doesn't claim that he gets any sort of nourishment. Right, none. It says you'll probably live for less than a week, so 
I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. In fact, he well, goes is, nine is that, days. Is, is that an, an, an Earth week or a Barsoomian week? Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the calendar comes to Fortis. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that that uh, Carter has a high constitution score because he, he pretty much just gets these pills. And from, from this point to like the end of the book, it's pretty much nonstop fighting. Yeah. And and yeah. he kills like everyone. Everyone on Mars basically dies. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and plus, I mean, you know, the the, the this um, what's his name, Solensus All. Right. You know, he pretty much goes rampaging through his guard and things like that. As you know, be, uh, because of course, like everyone on Mars, Solensus All wants to marry Dejah Thoris. Exactly. And, and, you and know? the moment you. You lay eyes upon uh, Dejah Thoris. That, that's you're you're pretty much dead because Carter's going to kill you at some point. She must have like a charm person spell cast on. You know, she must have like this pers- this permanent charm person that she exudes because you know, I mean, you know, Thurid and Matai Shang and mm-hmm. Salensis all and you know all these. Of course, you could say the same for John Carter because obviously, you know, every woman he meets. Right. wants to fall he falls in love with him so Absolutely. you know they're the, they're the perfect couple for each other because everybody wants to to love them so you know they're like well since obviously no one else is worthy of us we are worthy of each other clearly clearly so um carter escapes uh following um his 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 allies you know secret you know and encoded messages right and he uh uh, eventually comes to the to, to the throne room of Salensis All, where I, I I believe he engages in battle single-handedly against about about fifty enemies or so, um, and I I think at at earlier um, no okay he he manages to find and and rescue uh, uh, Tardos Moors and Moors Kajak, um, yep. who. D- Despite being the rulers of Helium, I, I think get almost no lines in this entire book, or the entire series. Have have, have we ever heard them speak? Um, not much. And if it was, it was probably in the Princess of Mars because they. I mean, since the beginning of uh, the Gods of Mars, they've been they've disappeared. So I mean, I mean, these are these are some of the of the mightiest uh, red Martians on, on on the planet, and you know Carter uh, rescues them and is like, "You're you're free now," and they're like, oh, "Oh, okay, we will we will follow you and and fight for you." So um, they're they're attacking the palace, and and Carter bursts in, into the, into the throne room, and he he pretty much leaps to Salensis all and and kills him in one blow, and then he's fighting the entire room. Yep. Well, and, they go on this protracted battle where it's him plus the, you know, the guards that he rescued. Well, Tardos Moore, Moore's Kajak, the fellow prisoners, which I guess were their guards. Right. And he's rescued them all. And then they take this protracted battle where they essentially fight up the stairways and things like And throughout this, you know, he even says, you know, they periodically, the only rest we received was periodically because they had to clear out all the bodies that we had slain. So that there's they could come up the stairs after us again, you know. It's like, wow. I mean, they've perfect. You know, they have laid waste to hundreds, if not, you know. So yeah, it was. They are very- they are they are quickly uh, depopulating the the North Pole of Yellow Martians, right? Yes. So, um, 
it so all right so Carter's fighting he's he's got Deja Thoris behind him and he thinks she's safe in fact he thinks I, he's he, she's <laughs> I know I love this part I'm like are you serious he he, he thinks she's so so safe that that he doesn't bother to look over his shoulder for half an hour right <laughs> she she at 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 Early, early in the battle, she she starts singing the the national anthem of 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 helium. So I I guess she's like some kind of bard, basically, and and then she falls silent. And Carter's like, well, that's strange, but he doesn't think anything of it, right? Well, what's even better is right before the battle, he sees Thurod's face poking out from behind the curtains behind the throne. So. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like I was reading this, going, "Are you serious?" And this, and this is this is possibly about the most sexist passage in 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 the entire trilogy because he he says that um, he's he, he's worried that she might have grabbed a sword because you know women on Barsoom are not trained to fight, but they're Barsoomian, so fighting is in their blood, but. If, if, if she grabbed a sword, that means that he would have to waste precious energy protecting her, because she, of course, can't protect her, 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 herself, even even with her Barsoomian blood and, and a sword in, in her hand. Yeah, that's uh, true. But then he puts that thought out of his head, and it's just killing, uh, until, you know, finally it's, it's, it's all done, and he goes to, to turn around and, and sweep her up in his arms, and she's not there. Yeah. What happened to her? Oh, no. Oh, no. And then, of course, he remembers, you know, that's, I mean, in fact, the last line is, and Dejah Thoris was not to be found or something like that. Right. And, of course, the next chapter is, oh, then I recall that Thurid, you know, was like, oh, my gosh. I, I You know, I even made a note of that as, a, as I was reading this, you know, the, the iBooks that I, I was reading it on has, you know, the capability of you can highlight a paragraph and make a note. And I was, I even made the note during that as he's sitting there wondering how she's doing and why he can't hear her. I was like, is, is this something that the readers of this book would not have caught? In other words, are we just more sophisticated in our, you know, in our taste, literature taste now, you know, I mean, cause this was, I mean, it was obvious what had happened right? or, yeah. you know, or did he just really not think that his audience would just sit there and go, really? Where, you know, is John Carter really that thick, you know, as far as, but I don't know. Of course, I mean, he's proclaimed and, and, and on. This isn't, isn't the first time that we've, we've, we've said this either, but. Well, and he even, he's even proclaimed. Uh, in fact, one of my other favorite passages is after he's discovered this magnetic pole, uh, meaning the big rod that's sticking up out of the North Pole, not the pole itself, but right. this, th- that basically causes all these uh, flyers to crash. So, you know, that. Uh-huh. Um, he says something, he says, he, he notices that it was, it was placed right on the pole and he says, I wonder if that's why, or if that's, you know, if, if being placed on the pole somehow contributed to the strength of its magnetism, but I don't know, cause I'm not a scientist, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> it was a good thought, but you know, there was just kind of a, you know, I don't really care because I kill stuff. I don't, <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> it was like, yeah, I mean, so I, this, yeah. So we've 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 mentioned that the 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 latter third or so of this book is basically nothing but but fighting and fighting and fighting. And yeah. Are, 
like I I want to detour here because 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 arguably his 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 greatest fight in the book is is against this this old man who is who is yeah. the guardian of of, of 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 the lever yeah that 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 turns the magnetic pole on and off yep uh and apparently you know he 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 thinks he he's going to make quick work of this guy but but this guy is is a wizard of the blade but uh, but of 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 course this is this is Carter that 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 we're talking about so even though this this old guy is schooling him he fights for Dejah Thoris so of course he can't be be overcome and he he beats this guy and uses all the tricks he learns later when he's fighting that that room full of of 50 people yeah but yeah. um no, you're right. It was like, what? The old man? Knows? What? You know, <laughs> it, I, was, I, I, it was interesting. At least something challenged John Carter without being sheer numbers. I I, I really do wish I, I had that passage uh, called up in, 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 in front of me. Because cause I, I, I think the way that Burroughs describes battles... In, in in this book and 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 the previous books you know compared you know at, i i i want to do do a shout out to uh tome show host jeff jeff griner who's a big fan of of ra salvatore who who will will describe you know every single you know parry and 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 thrust and 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 riposte right Where, whereas burroughs describes fights in grandiose terms yeah, it's it's sheer numbers. I, okay, I think I've got the the passage you're talking about here. So he says, he he's he's just come across the his name's Solon, the old man, and he you know, um, he he he's you know with with scarce more than a glance toward him, I leap for the great switch, but quick as I was, that wiry old fellow was there before me. How he did it, I shall never know, nor does it seem credible that any Martian-born creature could approximate the marvelous speed of my earthly muscles. Like a tiger, he turned upon me, and I was quick to see why Solon had been chosen for this important duty. Never in all my life have I seen such wondrous swordsmanship and such uncanny agility as that ancient bag of bones displayed. He was in 40 places at the same time, and before I had half a chance to awaken to my danger, he was like to have made a monkey of me, and a dead monkey at that. It is strange how new and unexpected conditions bring out unguessed ability to meet them. That day, in the buried chamber beneath the palace of Salensis All, I learned what swordmanship meant, and to what heights of new sword mastery I could achieve when pitted against such a wizard of the blade as Solon. And then it goes on to, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, you, 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 like, it, it sounds far more amazing than he thrust at me, I parried. And then I shoved my sword back at him, you know, which is which is what you get in all the Forgotten Realms books that I've been reading um, for the for the Tome Show Book Club, where you can also hear 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 my voice. Um, I look forward to it. So yeah, um, and and I hope that you listening at home uh, agree. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, he, he's very abstract about it, but you know, you kind of get this. Uh, actually, I, I kind of picture. Um, I think the two best cinematic sword fights I've ever seen are Inigo Montoya and Dread Pirate Roberts from The mm-hmm. Princess Bride, mm-hmm. 
And the other might be, um, and I'm sure there are better out there, but the ones that come to mind, uh, the other was when uh, Darth Maul fights uh, the two Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi and what was Liam Neeson. And, and, and that's just, ju- just it. He's, he, he's not working in a visual medium, in, in, in a visual medium. He's, he's working with, with text. He, doesn't, he, 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 he can't rely on you know, choreography, Right, he he has to he has to you know describe it. He has he has to use literary choreography, you know, literary fireworks, basically, right? To you know to make this 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 passion you know sing, and and he does. So that's all. That's that was my entire point. Well, it's a good point. Thank you. Uh, so, anyways. So we we get to the end. Uh, Carter has killed everyone, <laughs> just about, except Dejah Thoris. Right. Well, I actually. Um, so what about the what about the way he finally he yeah. finally gets Dejah Thoris? Okay. All right. So so he 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 finally catches up with the bad guys. Uh, um, Thorid, Madashang, and Madashang's daughter, um, Fedor, I think. Her name uh, Fedor, yes. Fedor. And and they are fleeing uh, once again in a in a flying boat with with Dejah Thoris, you know, in in tow. And Thorid and Madashang have been fighting with each other this this in, in, entire book. And and Thorid finally pushes. Madashang off off the boat where and and he he plunges to his death. Yeah, well, yeah, he stabs him in the face. I was kind of like, wow, that's a particularly gruesome scene there. I mean, it's not you know he doesn't describe it in great detail, but you know, Madashang is like hanging on to the thing and he's like, pull me up, pull me up. So he takes out a dagger and stabs him in the face, and I'm like, ew. <laughs> I was like, and I mean, and not he, that he he's about it. to do the same to John Carter. Yep, and and. It it it's funny because after after everything Carter's been through, uh, Third is standing over him with with a knife about to stab his face, and Carter is sure he's going to die. So so all all he can do is look at Dejah Thoris and and smile, because he's he's sure that he's about to die, and 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 all he wants is for his 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 wife to see his 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 face. Yep, his happy face. Right, his his his, his you know because. After killing a room full of fifty people, he there, there there's there's no way he can pull pull himself up onto the boat to deal with this guy. Um, but he's he's saved by Theodore, uh, the evil princess, uh, who who has tried to kill Carter and and Thoris a, a bunch of times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But she 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 kills Thorid to avenge her her father. And then she sort of reveals that well she's she's learned what true love means by by watching uh, Deja Thoris and and Carter and seeing their devotion to to each other, uh, and then she throws herself off the side of the boat. I know it was like what? Yeah, it was it was sort of an unsatisfying conclusion to to her. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yeah. Do you remember the, how that ended? Uh, it I, it ends with uh, the the heroine flying. Well, she kind of 
Uh, well, I guess that's one way to look at it. I thought she kind of jumped off the bridge and was committing suicide. But, but she, but she, she can fly though. So she's not really committing suicide. She's well, you know, that's one way to look at it. I guess you know, I, I anyways, yeah, I, I remember thinking she just killed herself, and that's kind of how this one Fedor just kind of like, I mean, instead of, I guess what I found surprising is this. So all throughout these books, we find out how inspiring love is, especially John Carter's love for his wife. Um, Deja Thoris. Mm-hmm. And, and that love goes on to inspire Thuvia, who has also fallen in love with, with John Carter, to find love. I'll, you know, I, I won't say how uh, yet. I, I um, believe in, in, in future books, which w- w- we, 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 we won't be reading them on this show, so it's, it's, it's okay to go ahead and spoil. But in, in future books, she, she hooks up with uh, Carter's son. Actually, at the end of this book, she does. Oh, okay. It's one of those, they're like staring at each other across the room, and they kind of look at each other and go, hmm, you know. And and even though there is an age difference between them, Carter makes the... the, Isn't isn't Carthoris 10 years old? Yeah, something like that. But of course, (laughs) he's a a full-grown, you know, 10 Barsoomian years, which is, you know. Sure. Yeah, no, but you are right. And, And she, of course, is, you know, approximately John Carter's age. Right. And, you know, so he kind of looks at it and says, well, but you know what? They live so long that what's the difference between 30 <laughs> years between a man and a woman on Barsoom, you know? Because right. they all live to be about a thousand. So, you know, that's or, nothing. Or forever, for, for all we know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, they, they actually do, you know, they at least make eyes at each other. I, I forget if they actually, but yeah. In fact, I think the next book is about. Thuvia, which I don't know if you're ever going to, I don't know. I don't think we're, we're, we're not going to get to it, but yeah, the, the next book is Thuvia. Uh, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's just called Thuvia made of Mars. Yeah. Something but, like that. Yeah. But kind of like how the first book, the title is a princess of Mars. It's, it's not actually about the princess. It's about the man. Oh yeah. His son probably yeah. going off to rescue him or her or something. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so uh, uh, bad guys are dead. Good guys are alive. Uh, everyone goes home. Uh, there's there there's an empty throne, and and Carter sort of, you know raises up uh, Prince Talu to be ruler of the of the of the Yellow Men because because all throughout this book he's been uh, you know refusing thrones that that have been 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 offered to him, right? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, you 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 mentioned him uh, being a a humble brag last last time, right? Yeah. He, he, I, let me I, let me let me find uh, the passage. So he's he, he's he's looking at this at this empty throne, and 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 and, and he's saying, well, you know, there's there, there's only one man who who really can can have this this throne, and and of course he's referring to. Uh, Talu, and, and and he says, as is ever the way with me, I acted then as I always act, without deliberation and without consultation. Those who do not like my plans and my ways of promoting them have always their swords at their sides, wherewith to back up their di- their their disapproval. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I mean, he like this, like he's he's really grown grown some 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 gonads by this by this point. He's 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 you know. Put up or shut up. I don't. I don't want to be king, but I can make people king if I yeah. want to. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is. I mean, the planetary romance. After getting through this book, I mean, there's so little science fiction in this book that, or these <laughs> these. 
which is actually when we get to the end of it, we start talking about our thoughts about the book. I'll, I'm sure I'll say more about that. But yeah, no, I, 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 you're right. I mean, he certainly seems to assume the role uh, of king or whatever it is, warlord of Mars, even though he's not supposedly entitled to it. Right. No uh, others seem to treat him like he is. All, I mean, all, all, all throughout this, this, this uh, trilogy, you know, way, way back to the first story where he's rescuing his his friend from the from the Indians, he, you know, he, he, he talks about his his tendency to, you know, act rather than 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 think, or you know, as as he puts it, you know, to think with me is to is to act. Right. And and I, I I I think he makes his his boldest statement about it in 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 this story, and I have the passage here. Uh, he says, "Quick, have I always been to decide and and act? The the impulse that moves me and the doing of the thing seems simultaneous. For if my mind goes through the tedious formality of reasoning, it it may be a subconscious act of which I am not objectively aware. Psychologists tell me." That as the subconscious does not reason, too close a scrutiny of my mental activities might prove anything but flattering. But be that as it may, I have often won success while the thinker would have been still at the endless task of comparing various judgments. So, I mean, there we have John Carter to a T. He's a, he's a doer, not a thinker. He's a he's he's a man of, of muscles, not of the mind. As you said, he's he's not a scientist. Yeah, um, which, he, which is actually funny because he's managed to dis, discredit the entire religion of uh, <laughs> of a planet through reason. But uh, yeah, no, he's definitely as you described. His 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 weaknesses are are being in the dark and being in prison. Yeah. Um, but at at the end of of this of this whole series, uh, he he is finally officially made. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what's uh, what's what's the uh, 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 Kjak of Kjaks? What's Jedak of Jedaks. Jedak, right? Jedak of 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 Jedaks, uh, King of Kings, if you will, which which I believe J is a title given to Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, yeah. A- and John Carter's initials, as we as we previously stated, are JC. Yeah. Uh, and and he 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 has cast down you know, false gods in this, in this story. So, well, and plus actually it's even better because he ends and they, they, you know, the whole place where this big ceremony takes place is, is on the throne of righteousness at the temple uh, or the Isle of hope in the temple, the the temple of, of reward, I think. I thought it was the temple of righteousness or something. Maybe you're right. I, I don't know. But no, I I think it's the temple of of reward, yeah, or 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 judgment or something. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, um, basically all the all the good guys who are left alive, uh, gather gather in this temple and say, John Carter, you have killed the most people. Uh, you've you've reached a thousand uh, points. You get an extra life. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hey, what do you know? The princess is in this castle. <laughs> you you have the high score, sir. You you are the ruler of us of us all. Yeah, you are the champion, my friend. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Especially and, after another one bite the dust. <laughs> and and it, it 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 all ends with a kiss. Yeah, you know, very cinematic. I was like, okay, 
I could see that being a movie. Yeah, it was interesting. It was rather abrupt, as you said, but it ends with a kiss. And and that's it. That's 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 a trilogy. You know, it, we 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 know that the series does go on for for books and books and books, but it 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 really seems like these three stories make up the core of what is Barsoom. Well, does John Carter ever re? Does he ever take the principal role in any of the books later on? I I have no idea. Um, it's. Um, you know what? I'm I'm gonna put this to the listeners uh, out out there. If 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 you are fans of the Barsoom series and you want to uh, weigh in in on this discussion, if if you think there are future books that we should pay attention to, if you think it's a mistake to skip them, uh, please write in and 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 let me know. Or if you would like to come on the show and just offer your your thoughts or 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 a summary, um, we we would love to have you. Um, but I, I believe the, the next book that the hero is, is Carter's son. That, yeah, I knew that. All right. And, I should and, say and, yes. And I eventually knew, but... there, there's a guy called Ulysses something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I know that Carter continues to be a recurring character in Burroughs' stories. Mm. Um, and in fact... Uh, I, I started to read uh, Carson of Venus, one of one of Burroughs' much, much later books. And he basically begins that story by uh, narrating himself as Burroughs getting correspondence from basically all of his his, his heroes. Uh, Carter, Tarzan, uh, the the hero of the Pellucidar series, you know, by 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 that point in in Burroughs' career, he he'd sort of build up this shared universe, mm. which which is which is interesting because it's it's almost like the progenitor of these shared comic book universes that we have today. Yeah, I'm surprised he never did a crossover event. He he basically did, I think. Like like oh, eventually, okay. all these characters sort of come together and and meet each other, and oh. have adventures together. But I really don't. Like that's something that we're gonna gonna explore later, I think. Yeah. All right. Um, but but the the future aside, Jay, what what are your thoughts on 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 this book and the trilogy as a whole? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that, Jeff. <laughs> so it, it's interesting as this series has progressed. Um, you can tell that. Uh, Mr. Burroughs, his writing is becoming more certain, more sophisticated. Uh, the prose is better. It's, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say tighter, not tighter in the sense of that it's more succinct because as we have made uh, several times, we've made the point that he is bombastic is mm. the word that we've yes. used. Yes. He's very effervescent in his descriptions. Mm, effervescent, I like that word. Yeah, <laughs> but he he does definitely seems to his word choice is better and i i'm sure some of it is my habituation to his style of writing but i feel that his writing just plainly got better as he wrote more which you know princess of mars was his very first Mm -hmm. book in between he had tarzan and then and and we we talked about this or i should say we didn't talk about it but we mentioned the delay that he had in between the gods of mars and Warlord of Mars. However, to me, it feels like it really could have been one book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially not just because the 
you know, the action happens to, you know, the, the Warlord of Mars takes place chronologically immediately after the Gods of Mars. There is right. that. There's, but, there's, there's no, like, ten years of, you know, right. Carter but it dying. Just, it flows much better together as well. Uh, those two books seem much more like a single book. Um, the Princess of Mars, you know, felt very experimental in retrospect. I didn't feel that way when I was reading it, but after having read all three, I feel like that he was, you know, he was trying to feel his way around mm-hmm. the. And know, there's 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 a lot of stuff in 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 Princess of Mars, like particularly particularly all the technology that 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 sort of falls by the wayside. Actually, I was I was going to make that exact point. Thank you for that. So, actually, in fact, why don't you go ahead and make it, and then uh, so I, well, I I don't know if this, if this is what you were go- were going to mention, but but we but way back in Princess of Mars, we we talked about how they they how how the Red Men are able to view anything happening yep. on on other planets, yep, you know, like anywhere in the in the galaxy, but yep. you know, by but apparently they 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 can't see what's happening at their own poles. Right, that that too. Yeah, there is that. So, like, we we can just sort of chalk that up to, you know, Burroughs was just you know had an idea and it it, it didn't quite you know flesh out. Well, and the idea that I the that, and that is definitely the point. But there was a sense of wonder in the Princess of Mars, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with this technology, with you know, not only the the, the view screens, but there was these you know the the eighth and ninth rays mm-hmm. that. You know, supposedly one was propulsion, and I forget what the other one was. But you know, the 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 therns were this mystical. You know, they they weren't. They, they were sort of these otherworldly. What you didn't really know what they were, kind of. You know, and there were temples, there were ruins well, across. Even, even even the therns, like there, there really wasn't as much emphasis on the technology as much as as the mystery. Like like I mean, I mean, the therns had you know levers and 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 automatic doors. But I mean, going going back to, back to Princess, the the Red Men had you know houses that they would raise up on 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 you know hy- hydraulic lifts at night to you know keep away from from the predators. And he he even mentions that that they that they have uh, restaurants, right? Where, yeah. where you just you just push buttons, and I guess robots bring you food. Yeah. On the, on this planet where you know food is scarce. Um, so yeah, so like I, I really really imagined helium in in the first book as being like this this futuristic city with like machines everywhere, and and by the end of this book it really just seems like it's it's Conan the Barbarian land where everyone has swords and there's there's these flying ships, but that's that's about it as far as tech tech technology goes. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just the Princess of Mars, while definitely not. The prose wasn't as tight, and but it definitely had some sort of mystical quality to it. You know, you felt wonder, especially John Carter's wonder about mm-hmm. being in this new world. And these two books are basically uh, an extended prison break and then chasing. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really, I don't. In fact, in some ways, you know, with the gods of Mars and what he does to their religion, it's almost like he put the midichlorians into Barsoom. You know, it, it kind of, it kind of fell a notch or two in my estimation. You know, whereas in Princess of Mars, like you said, it you know it has this sort of um, 
I don't want to say mystical quality. We've said that a few times, but it's almost like a blending of a medieval and wondrous. technological, yeah, wondrous society. You know, a little bit of magic, a little bit of technology, and it all works together to create this very intriguing environment. And yet, you know, the following on books are basically, you know, other than the the mention of like the the magnet. And right. some of the other things, uh, you know, the lever of death and a I mean, few even, other things. Even even the Green Man, they 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 have these incubators and they've they've got laser guns that can yeah. like just yeah the but, radium bullets but, and like stuff. we 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 don't hear about anyone having having firearms in no. in this in this book. It's, well, it's, and it's funny because it's all we, knives and swords. We praised him immensely for his ability to you know for creating a setting in the first book, mm-hmm. and in the second and third book. It's the setting takes a complete back uh, back step to the rest of you know to the to the plot. Well, I I, which, I thought God's ex- ex- expanded the setting quite a bit, in- introducing these 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 new races and expanding on on the the the, the religion. I I thought it it was fascinating. The, yeah, you know, the, it, I'll give you that. It it definitely was. But even then, I think the focus was more on the characters and the plot rather than the setting, which is. Not bad. I mean, there, but it's just not really his forte, you know, because the plot was rather mundane and the characters are rather one-dimensional, as we've mm-hmm. talked about. Yep. Um, whereas, you know, his ability to create these wondrous settings are, you know, fantastic. He does a great job of that, and he didn't play to his strengths in the second and third novel, um, which I maybe maybe just a sign of the times. Maybe that's not anything, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, he had these things go to editors for these magazines, and maybe they wrote him back and said, less frou-frou stuff, more action, you know, who knows. But, um, you know, he did, he did write these two books. Um, they're the actual language and grammar and, and, and coherence is better, but at the same time, I feel like he lost something in the transition from Princess to these two. Uh, I... You're right, and especially in the first half of Gods of Mars, you know when he expands on, you know, you you get the the Therns and the and the uh, the Firstborn. I I I I love the plot device where the Firstborn are actually using the Therns, who are then using everybody else on the planet. You mm-hmm. know, I thought that was a very duplicitous trick that, uh, and it, it was a neat plot device that he he used. And then and then in in this book you. We 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 discover the yellow men and and they're probably like the least interesting race. Well, they're certainly not the most fleshed out. I mean, they're just you know he doesn't really give them due time to really to develop. Their 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 entire scheme is is they have a magnet and anyone who tries to discover them gets gets sucked in by the by the magnet. Right and well and they're the foil at the North Pole because he's already gone. He's essentially he's taking this geographical trip from south to equator to north, and they're the foil at the North Pole for him to basically knock down like a bunch of slaughtered dominoes so that he can rescue his princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know, good and bad. I you know he's progressed, I think, but at the same time he took a step back. What do you think? Um, I I. I I I I think Gods was was sort of the the apex of this series, like especially as you as you mentioned the 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 early half where he's exploring the the Valley Door, and there's these weird plant plant monsters and the and 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 this weird dungeon and the and the and the you know the this this phony religion, 
you know, right right up to where he meets um, uh, Queen Queen Is, or or or, or Isis. Right. I think I think that was that was the 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 apex of of, of, of the series and. This, you know, Warlord was pretty darn wearying because it was it was just one, it was one fight after another. It's it's Carter beating his chest and shouting at people to obey him. Um, you know, other other than I mean, there's you know, there's 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 the moment where where he's trapped in the in in the pit of plenty, and and there's that there's that one sword fight with with Solan that I thought was so well well described. Um, but other other than that, there's there's very few moments in 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 Warlord that stand out to me, um, as as much as in as in Gods and in in Princess, and and oh. I was I was exhausted by the end. Of yeah, the that's a good just, word for it. Like, thank goodness it's finally over. He's he he's king. There's no one left to kill. He he has his princess again. Maybe <laughs> we can get on and and read something else now. Yeah, I, I exhausting is a good word for it. I was glad that it was a hundred pages shorter than, than the the other two books. I mean even I, I, I listened to the audiobook and, and I was exhausted, so <laughs> Yeah. Alright. So uh there there we have it. Um I I think uh, if 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 you listen to uh, all of these these episodes uh, so far, uh, you know that um, Barsoom is an an amazing setting. I, I'm sure um, a a skilled uh, GM or or even even an an amateur could find endless seeds for uh, ad ad adventure. Uh, inspirations for his his own campaign world. I mean, even even if you wanted to do a a fantasy setting, and replace you know the Martians with you know elves and dwarves and trolls and whatever. Well, they they kind of did that with deserts, uh, not desert. What's it called? Uh, Dark, Dark Sun. Sun. Dark yeah, Sun. Yeah, like you mentioned the very first episode. Yeah, I, Barsoom definitely could be Athos or whatever the name of the the world is. But yeah, this this is this is an excellent example of of world spanning uh, ad, ad adventure, um, you know, war, love, uh, weird religions, weird dungeons, horrible monsters. Uh, I I think this this series really has a a a, a lot of inspiration for uh, dungeon masters and 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 players, and you know, just despite uh, the the criticisms i i would recommend it i would too i it definitely i mean it goes quick the, these books are super easy to read you know, especially compared to modern fantasy where you know the, you get these epic world saving series that span 10 books uh-huh. and you know come out at two to three years apart and you know this this these this series is tight it's um you know easy to read and it's but free it's, and it, yeah, it's free and it's chock full of really good ideas so okay well, Jay, we have talked for wow over over an 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 hour. Uh, it's it's been a thrill. It's 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 been a pleasure, and and I thank you for taking this uh, journey with me. And uh, you know, I, I I know in the beginnings you you you, you had some uh, mis, mis misgivings about uh, having having the time to, to 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 do this project. And and I I I thank you for taking the time. And and I and I and I thank you for taking it uh, this this far with me. 
Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And of course, uh, I certainly look forward to uh, listening to future episodes. I really enjoyed your Lord Dunsany episode with your two co-hosts, whose names uh, uh, escape me at the moment. But uh, I certainly look forward to future episodes of Appendix N and listening and uh, kind of taking this journey with you as you explore the the inspiration to Gary Gygax in creating the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, thank you very much. Listeners, if you would like more of Mr. J. Kent, you can find him at rpgcircus.com and expertisedice.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at icosahedron. This was a special bonus episode intended to finish off our discussion of the Mars series. If you have any thoughts or comments, if you would like to weigh in on additional books in the series, if you think we should take the time to read them, or you just want to give us a summary, you are welcome to write in your comments or even come on the show as a guest. I would love to hear from you. In about a week, we are going to bring you a discussion of At the Earth's Core, the beginning of another series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. That will be followed in July by its sequel, Pellucidar. I already have a guest lined up for that. Uh, for August, we are reading The Moon Pool by Abraham Merritt. And in September, we are reading The King of Elfland's Daughter by Lord Dunsany. I, I need guests for those shows still, so if you would like to volunteer, I really appreciate it. You can find The Moon Pool for free on the web at gutenberg.org. And you can find The King of Elfland's Daughter at fadedpage.com. To get more details about our recording schedule, and especially if you want to volunteer, please email Jeff Greiner, host of The Tome Show, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. Please send along any questions, comments, or feedback to that email address as well. You can also visit The Tome Show's webpage at www.thetomeshow.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 4, The Warlord of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Thanks for listening.